if you're sick, you tend to go to a doctor because a doctor has pattern recognition and they've seen 10,000 cases that look just like yours and they can quickly identify what's, what's going on and what to do about it. And what I found in the first five, six years of parenting is that every time we face a really challenging situation, we tend to face it for the first time. And so gathering pattern recognition has been quite difficult, but I thought, well, what if we could crowdsource ideas from guys who've been dads for 30 years and guys who were beginning their journey and maybe we could piece together some pattern recognition and Hello and welcome to the Dad Train, where we explore ideas and strategies on how to be a better man, a better partner, and a better dad. I'm your host, Scott Davison. I hope you enjoy this episode and learn something new. Hello and welcome to the Dad Train Podcast. This is episode 54 and my guest today is Craig Kessler, who's an accomplished businessman. He's the CEO of the global sports entertainment business Topgolf, uh, but he's also a father of three young boys and as of recently, he's now also a published author. Now, the idea for his book started back in 2019 when Craig was in search of some parenting advice. So he asked a handful of his friends to write him letters on how to be a good dad. And the response he received is what inspired him to begin compiling and organizing these letters into a book. The book is called The Dad Advice Project, and it features real-life fatherhood stories written by more than 40 dads from all walks of life, including professional athletes, TV personalities, businessmen, civic leaders, military veterans, and some other personal friends of Craig's who had stories worth sharing. So let's have a chat with Craig and find out a bit more about the Dad Advice Project. Craig Kessler, welcome to the Dad Train. Scott, it's great to be here. and appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Um, look, we definitely want to talk about the Dad Advice Project. That's the reason we've got you here. But I wanted to start with a little bit about your professional career because from what I've read, that's been a bit of a wild ride in itself. Uh, so you're the COO of uh, Top Golf. Now, uh, there's definitely some golfers in the audience who will be uh, familiar with that business. But for, for the rest of us, can you just tell us a bit about the Top Golf story and, and sort of how your career has evolved with it? Yeah, of course. Happy to. So for those who aren't familiar, Top Golf is a global sports and entertainment company. And we have a whole bunch of different businesses, but the one that most of our audience is familiar with are the top golf venues. In fact, we have one in the Gold Coast uh, in Australia. Yep. And it's basically a three-story driving range. Every golf ball has an RFID chip, and you're aiming at targets in the uh, outfield of the driving range. But what makes it so great is whether you're a golfer or not, if you like to break bread with friends and family, have a couple of cocktails eat great food and listen to music. This is an entertainment destination that tens of millions of fans from across the world enjoy uh, every single year. And in terms of how I got to it, it's as you, as you mentioned, it's been kind of a Mr. Toad's wild ride to say the least. I uh, went to college in DC, uh, started in consulting after college, joined a few different private equity firms and uh, after a bit of bit of a topsy turvy path, ended up uh, as the COO of Top Golf uh, coming up on five years ago. 
Okay. And it's been pretty rapid growth for the business over that period, has it, over that five years? Oh, crazy growth. Growth mm. in the last uh, five years, we've grown three or four times uh, where we were when I originally started. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a big, big global business now. How many staff have you got? You know, today we've got nearly, if not maybe just over 20,000 associates uh, mm. across the globe. And if you include associates that are, you know, working for our franchise partners, uh, including in the Gold Coast, it's even more than that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's an interesting business and it sounds like fun. I haven't checked it out myself, but um, uh, I'd be keen to um, have a bit of a hit if uh, from what you've described there. So any more um, locations planned for Australia at this point? You know, I can't give away the secret sauce in Australia, but I'll tell you, we've <laughs> got great partners in, in Village Roadshow and yep. I think we're all very excited to, to continue expanding throughout, throughout yeah. uh, Australia. Cool, cool. So, yeah, clearly your career has been, um, you know, a big focus, but somewhere along that path you, um, you you became a father as well. So what's what's the fatherhood side of your story and when did that sort of start and, and how did that blend in with your career? I think the fatherhood side of the story is uh, the part of the story that gives me more joy than, than anything else, really. I mean, what a ride. Uh, it started... Uh, it'll be six years ago this September. Uh, we've got three boys, one, uh, four, and five years okay. old. Uh, the, the chaos is real in the Kessler household. The energy levels are through the roof, but I'll tell you, we, we really wouldn't have it any other way. And for me, the journey has been wonderful and eye-opening all at the same time. And I think what, and you summarized it beautifully at the start of the podcast, but what what I realized pretty early on were a couple things. Number one, there's a ton of content out there for new moms mm -hmm. on how to be better moms. And there's not a lot for dads. Uh, number two, the stuff for dads tends to be written from one guy's point of view. And he tends to tell us what to do as fathers. And most guys I think are kind of like me in that we don't want just one guy's point of view. And we certainly don't want to be told what to do. We'd rather hear stories and sort of glean our own lessons from those stories. And that's the way the dad advice project is pulled together. And then the last observation, it's interesting, you know, if you're, if you're sick, you tend to go to a doctor because a doctor has pattern recognition and they've seen 10,000 cases that look just like yours and they can quickly identify what's, what's going on and what to do about it. And what I found in the first five, six years of parenting is that every time we face a really challenging situation, we tend to face it for the first time. And so gathering pattern recognition has been quite difficult. But I thought, well, what if we could crowdsource ideas from guys who've been dads for 30 years and guys who were beginning their journey and maybe we could piece together some pattern recognition. And, and I think those three things were, were big reasons for pulling the book together. Cool. And it was a bit of a... Um COVID project, was it? A lot of the work happened over the lockdown period? Yeah, you know, that's a good point. While the first uh, efforts began four and a half years ago, uh, the project really snowballed during COVID. Mm. And I think for a variety of reasons, top of the list, we were all a lot closer as families stuck inside our homes than we had ever been before. And it caused, frankly, a a time for reflection and also a yearning and a craving to crowdsource tips and tricks from our buddies. And 
those two things led to uh, an accelerated process for sure. Okay, yeah. I mean, I found um, a lot of projects, uh, sort of passion projects, took off over the um, the lockdown period. That's certainly when when this um, podcast um, evolved as well. That was launched out of the the lockdown period, so it was a good time for. Um, getting those sort of things done, um, particularly with everyone at home. A lot of the people you were probably interviewing had more time to contribute as well, um, which is what I found. So that's the concept. You sort of pulled together 40 different dads. These were all contacts of yours, um, what, through work mostly, were they? Or where did you sort of find the contacts? Yeah, that's one of the pieces of the project that excites me the most. You know, all the authors are personal friends of mine who I've met throughout my my life. So many of the guys your audience will, won't recognize, college roommates, next door neighbors, professional colleagues. And then there's a few names they will. So the, the foreword to the book is written by my college professor, uh, a guy named George Tenet, who was the CIA director in America on 9-11. And there are some guys in the golf world like Davis Love III and Noda Begay and uh, Mark Rolfing, um, Adam Wainwright, the St. Louis Cardinals baseball pitcher. So, so there are a series of recognizable names. But what I love about this is no matter where you are on that spectrum of notoriety, every passage sort of sits on a level playing field, recognizing that it's coming from a dad like me who's doing the best they can and certainly making a ton of mistakes along the way. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I had the, the, the guest we had uh, just last week actually, had he, he was involved with a website sharing stories. They'd done a book sharing stories of fathers and they, they had included some celebrities in there. I think he'd spent some time on a yacht with um, Matt Damon and Chris Hemsworth and he said exactly the same thing. It's once you get over the initial, um, you know, uh, celebrity um excitement the the issues they're facing as fathers are exactly the same as the rest of us and um that was kind of reassuring to him um so what were i mean so there's over 40 different dads you've interviewed and as you say from all walks of life were there any common themes that came through uh, in terms of the sort of advice they were offering yeah absolutely i i, I think the one of the greatest parts of the project for me was when we were getting close to the end, I printed out the manuscript, I poured myself a bourbon and I sat down and read the book cover to cover. And every time a theme came up, I'd write it down. If it came up a second time, I'd put a tally next to it. And mm -hmm. what I was looking for were those patterns. And, and there were three pieces of advice that came up more than any other. The first is that kids need to feel physically and psychologically safe. The second is that uh, you should love your spouse and make sure your kids see it because that's how they're going to learn how to have healthy relationships. And in my case, I'm married to a woman. And so that's going to help my kids uh, understand how to respect uh, women. And then the, the third most common piece of advice, which I thought was great, is that kids need to learn to fail, not just because failure is a part of life, but because coping skills are also absolutely critical. And the only way to develop those coping skills is to go through adversity and, and arguably a little bit of failure. Yep. No, that's, that's um, a good summary, actually. And were there any particular stories that um, resonated with you? Like, was there any, any of those stories that were particularly memorable that you've, you've been able to apply in your own life? 
Yeah, there are two. So the first comes from a, a buddy named Josh Redstone. Josh owns a small uh, medical device company. And Josh has this awesome tradition with his family. So they eat together all the time. But once a month, they try and sit down and have a formal family dinner. And that basically means they set the table. And when they do that, they take turns going around the table and including the adults one by one, the guests and their kids have to stand on their chairs, introduce themselves by name and by age and share with the group one thing that they're thankful for. And what they're doing is they're very gently teaching their kids self-confidence, public speaking, how to project their voices. But just as importantly, they're teaching their kids how to be grateful. And all the research shows, you know, practicing gratitude leads to happier lives. And we've started that tradition with our family. And, you know, we, again, our our four and five-year-old are old enough to understand this. And they'll now argue before dinner uh, over who gets to go first to say what they're thankful for, which is something (laughs) I never would have imagined. And a year Uh, year standing on the table. Sounds like Robin Williams was onto something in Dead Poets Society, was he? So you're you're up on on your chair preaching, are you? Carpe diem sees the day, just like Professor Williams. So that's the first. (laughs) The the second story, which I also think is kind of cool, a guy named Rex Curzius, who started a software business. Rex talks about how we try and give our kids exposure to things where memory recall and pattern recognition will matter. So arts and crafts, swimming, youth sports, religion, those sorts of things. But when it comes to business, we tend to shut the door and tell kids, hey, mommy or daddy have a work call. Please be quiet or please give me privacy. And his argument is that's kind of bullshit. Like if your kids are going to spend most of their adult lives in the professional world, why not open the door and give them exposure so that they have a leg up and they're engaged in what their parents are doing. And so, you know, for him, if he's interviewing a candidate for work or naming a company, he'll put it on speakerphone, open the door. And then over dinner or breakfast as a family, they'll debrief what they just listened to and, Obviously, there's a time and a place for that, but he picks and chooses, and you know it's led to all kinds of interesting engagement as a family. I bet, I bet you get some um, lateral thinking from a, a, a four-year-old or um, you know a teenager that you may not get in a normal business brainstorming session, right? You nailed it. Mm. And that modelling is is so true. It's like the kids are constantly watching what we're doing. I know, you know, with COVID, I've been working from home a lot more, and our son will come in with his he's three years old. He'll come in and want to sit sit next to me at the desk and um, you know play on his um, pretend computer. And they really are modelling what you're doing. So I think you're right. Just um, keeping the door open and and letting them watch is is a great way for them to learn by um, imitation as much as as much as anything is is probably more important than what you're actually telling them a lot of the time. I I agree. You know, I think one point too to underscore that Mark Rolfing, who's a an analyst for NBC and the golf channel on television, you know, he said, and by the way, Mark's an incredible man. He's been a foster parent to over 30 kids. Uh several of them have had special needs. So I take what Mark says about parenting seriously for all the reasons that you can imagine. He says something interesting. He said, you know, people ask me all the time to be a good journalist and a broadcaster. You must be really, really good at talking and having insights. 
And he said, well, it's actually the opposite. In order to be a good broadcaster, you have to be an exceptional listener because it's only when you listen and observe that you can then react. And sometimes silence is actually the best approach. And it is the exact same with parenting, right? If your kids are picking up on 10% of what you say and 90% of what you do, you know, you got to be a very careful observer of the situation to make sure things are heading in the, the direction you're excited about. So what's happening in your family at the moment? What's the current situation? Um, if you've got, yeah, what, what is the situation with COVID where you are at the moment? Are you doing homeschooling or are they, are they able to get to um, classes? What, what's it currently at? You know, over the last year and change, it's been a little bit of everything. Uh, we did some homeschooling. The kids have been in school. Fortunately, now it's it's summer break in Dallas where we live. So the kids are in summer camps uh, wearing masks for the most part. But I do think, you know, the, the neighborhood in which we live, you know, the, the communities tried to rally together and find the right balance between public health and safety, but also returning to normalcy in a way that allows us to carry on with our lives. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So the kids are away right now. So you've got a bit more time. Have we got another book um, in you, do you think? Is have you been working on the next one yet? We are so far as a group of guys from contemplating that question. Yeah. I think I think for now, the there's really two primary goals. Number one, let's get this book into as many dads' hands as possible so that they can be better dads and kids, kids can live better lives. Um. And by the way, it's worth mentioning, you know, the book is called The Dad Advice Project because that's how the project started. But interestingly, I can't tell you how many moms and even non-parents, both men and women have approached me and said, man, this book has just inspired me to be a better person. Mm -hmm. And it's really about relationships and joy as opposed to just being a better dad. Um, but for now, the goal is let's get this in as many dads' hands as possible. I think the the second goal is... There are 42 co-authors in the book. They all came to Dallas, almost all of them, a few weeks ago to meet each other for the first time before the book launched. And it's amazing the stories and the effectively the support network that's been created as a result. Yep. And I'd love to take that to the next level. And if all of us could not just support each other, but pick one or two people in our circles and help shepherd them through fatherhood, that would be pretty meaningful. It's It's a really... Really great concept, and uh, I think it's one area where dads, you know, you mentioned about dads not necessarily going out and wanting to read long manuals or large lists of things they need to be doing, but um, to, to sort of hear other dads' stories and gleam the bits of information they want, that, that tends to be how um, men um, engage. And, and this um, support network that you're talking about, again, is something that is missing for a lot of particularly new dads. You know, they often move away from their... Um, from where they grew up or, or maybe they're at a different stage to their um, other group of friends and it can be quite lonely at times. So that um, networking opportunity to tap into a network of other dads is a really powerful tool that, um, that men, can, men can use to grow. So I'm, I'm glad that's part of the sort of the vision for the, for the Dad Advice Project and um, yep. The book's relatively new, right? It's only just come out. So, where where can dads who are listening um, get a copy, and and how can they get involved? So, if you want to find the book, it's really easy. the The best place to do it is on Amazon. I know you can download the Kindle version. 
depending on the country or where you are in the world, unclear whether the uh, the hardbacks available through Amazon. But bookdepository.com is probably the best place for international readers who want a physical copy. Uh, those guys can ship anywhere in the world. Okay, cool. And what about this, um, this network idea that you've got? So are you sort of uh, looking to expand that via social media? Have you got any um, online groups going that um, dads can get involved with? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, for engagement, we've set up our website, dadadviceproject.com, and given people a chance to ask questions, uh, share their own advice, reach out in any way they want. They can learn more about the project. And then the other place to engage is on Instagram, and the handle is uh, not so creatively. It is <laughs> dad advice project yeah, very good I'll, I'll make sure I include links to those um in the show notes for dads who want to get involved and um you know it's pretty it's a pretty good resource where you've got 40 40 guys who have gone before us and they're sharing their advice it's an easy way to sort of um you know hear some stories and pick up a few ideas along the way so thanks for putting the project together getting the book done that's a, a wonderful achievement and um good luck with the launch and thanks for coming on the, the show and sharing some of those insights. Scott, it's a total privilege to be on the show. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And for any of your listeners out there, you know, if I can be a support in any way, reach out and uh, sincerely hope you get your hands on a copy of the book and that it's it will eventually, I hope, have the same impact on you that it's had on me and my parenting journey over the last handful of years. Thanks, Craig. Cheers, Scott. Thank you. That was another episode of the Dad Train Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that discussion and learned something new. You can find the show notes for this and all previous episodes at thedadtrain.com slash podcast. If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to support it, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts if you're able to and spread the word to other dads who may be interested. If you'd like to learn more or to get in touch, you can visit the website, which is thedadtrain.com, or follow me on social media at thedadtrain. Thanks for listening to the show. I do really appreciate your support. I'll be back next week with another episode, but until then, good luck on your journey to be a better man, a better partner, and a better dad. I'm Scott Davison, and you've been listening to The Dad Train.